Indeed, receive your word by the power of your spirit as he leads us into all truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You, my God, have saved my soul. I am yours forevermore. I won't be moved of this, I'm sure. You are my God and you save my
once was dead is now alive. You gave to me the breath of life. You brought me up out from the grave. And I'm bursting out with songs of praise. What once was dead is now alive. You gave to me the breath of life. You brought me up out from I'm sure you my God and you saved my soul my God have saved my soul and I am yours forevermore I won't be moved of this I'm sure you my God and you saved my soul Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. I'm knowing he counts out their sum Thrown into the sea without bottom or shore Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more What patience would wait as we Father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Stood neath 
please please remain standing for the reading of God's word we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and we'll be reading verses 10 to 13 then I saw the wicked buried they used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things this also is vanity because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. You may be seated. This morning, our missionary highlight is uh, James and Rebecca Holt, who serve in the uh, Enclados ministry and in El Medina ministry. And so join with me as we pray. Our gracious Lord, we're so grateful that we can come before you today to worship your holy name. Lord, we honor you. We praise you. We worship you today. And we pray that by your spirit that uh, you would allow us and cause us, Lord, to worship you with pure hearts in spirit and in truth that lord even in our worship that we might honor your holy name that we might lift you up and that our focus would be on you and you alone so free us today lord from the distractions of the world the things that pull us away from you lord that cause our hearts to turn and our eyes to turn lord may we be satisfied in you and you alone today Lord, we acknowledge that uh, we as your people fall far short of the glory of God, and yet through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who died in our place, who paid the penalty for our sin, we can come before you pure and holy and approach your holy throne. And so, Lord, we're grateful for that. And pray, Lord, that you would give us grateful hearts, that we be a people that rise up each day and acknowledge you and wonder at your grace that you so freely lavish upon us every day and so lord help us to be a people that honor you in our words and our thoughts in our actions and the attitudes of our hearts that we indeed might be a people worthy of the gospel of christ and lord that people might see our good works and so glorify our father who is in heaven and lord uh, we would ask now that uh, you would uh, go before james and rebecca holt Lord, that uh, you would give them strength before you in their ministries. Lord, uh, with Onclados, we thank you for this ministry that is joined with us and pray that you would empower James, especially as he uh, is taken on such a heavy load in seminary and in ministry and pastoring a church. Lord, we pray that you would give him strength and wisdom and grace and that he might honor you in all things. We thank you for this family that's so committed to you. Pray your blessing upon them. And so, Lord, this morning as we come before you, we pray that according to the riches of the glory of Christ, that you might grant to us to be strengthened with the power through your spirit in our inner beings, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, and that we might be rooted and grounded in love and have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and that we might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Lord, that is our prayer this morning. May you be honored and glorified in all that we do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
sing to you this morning, God. We want to not just sing to you with, with, with mouths and, and words, God, but with hearts that are, are changed and transformed by your word. God, draw us to yourself this morning. Thank you for your spirit that gives us understanding of your precious word, the precious gift of Christ that brought us so that we can approach your throne, God, that we can be called children of God. We want to praise you and glorify and magnify you today. God, we want our love for one another to show the world that you are alive, that you are God, and that they can turn to you as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On November 19th, 2017, convicted criminal Charles Manson met his maker. He died of a heart attack, and this man who was 83 years old and had perpetrated a lot of evil on a lot of people died and met ultimate justice. The same thing happened to Hitler on April 30th, 1945 a self-inflicted gunshot wound. And that day, he met ultimate justice. Justice is on our minds a lot nowadays, isn't it? We think about wanting swift justice. Sometimes it's blind justice. And sometimes injustice goes unpunished. It tears our hearts and we think about justice, but do you ever think about ultimate justice? Do you ever think about God's ultimate coming justice? Ecclesiastes 8, verses 10 through 13, is really a source of both caution and comfort as it relates to God's ultimate justice where we see mankind perpetrating and even being praised for huge amounts of injustice, seeming to go scot-free, seeming to not have the consequences. But what a believer in the Lord Jesus knows is that God will bring ultimate justice. I want you to focus in this passage with me on first verses 10 and 11, the fact that mankind just continues to do evil. And then we'll look at verses 12 and 13, that God will bring ultimate justice. Put your eyes on verse 10 to begin with. Verse 10, Solomon has been making all sorts of observations as he's gone through this book. And he says, I saw the wicked buried. I don't know about you, but one of the things that are the most crushing thought is when you go to the funeral of an unbeliever, and there's no hope, there's no gospel truth, there's just death and grief and pain, 
Even sometimes you'll go to a funeral of an unbeliever and maybe the pastor will try to put them in heaven and say, oh, they were a really good person. I've been at funerals like that and it just, it just grieves me to the depth of my soul and I know it does for you as well. Solomon here says, I saw the death of the wicked. And then he goes on and he says, they used to go in and out of the holy place, the place where God is to be praised, the place where God is to be worshipped, and they're high-handedly going in to the house of God, to the holy place, and they're doing their evil deeds. And he's saying this, I remember. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. I think of Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. I think of people that are being praised for doing evil. And seemingly getting away with it. Solomon's conclusion on that is it's vanity. It's vanity. Just like he's been saying to us all the way through Ecclesiastes so far. It's vanity. It's not going to last. It's like a a puff of smoke. It's vapor. It's not going to amount to anything. Because I saw the death of the wicked. The people that used to be praised for doing wicked things. Not going to last. Move on to verse 11. There's a reason. He says, because the sentence of an evil deed doesn't come right away. The sentence there is the judgment. The sentence there is the verdict from God that says you deserve to be judged for doing that or for being that person. Because the the sentence, look at verse 11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. People think they can get away with it. You might be like that today. You might be doing things in your life. Maybe they're evil deeds, and you're like, well, I don't see the consequences coming my way. I don't see a lot of you know, negative impact on my life, so I think I can just keep on doing that. And what you're going to find out is you can only keep doing that for so long before it catches up to you. It's like the bills that just pile up. It's like the credit card bills that just keep compounding, and someday you're going to need to pay. Because of the sentence, verse 11, against the evil deed is not executed speedily, it says the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Pre-wired, locked and loaded, the, the cruise control is on to do evil. You'll notice that in verse 11, he says they're, they're doing that evil. In verse 10, he's looking back to when they did the evil. The sentence against an evil deed not being executed speedily gives some people a false assurance that they can keep doing whatever they're doing. You know people like that. God forbid, but you might be a person like that. And God wants you to listen up and say, you know what? Just because the the sentence of your evil deed is not executed speedily does not mean that you can say, aha, I can get away with this. I'm going undetected. I'm, I'm flying under the radar. I think of the forbearance of God 
That's what this is. Why the sentence of God against evil is not speedily brought forth is because of God's patience. It's because of his forbearance. It's because he, he waits patiently so that people would repent. It makes me think of Psalm 34. If you want to turn to Psalm 34 in your Bible, Psalm 34 begins with blessing to God. David is saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And he goes on and says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Consider how good God is. And then he says in verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. But look at verse 16, Psalm 34, 16. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Humanity is always put into two groups. The evil and the good, the righteous and the wicked, the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats, believers and unbelievers. God is blessing the one who trusts him and God's face is against those who do evil. I think of 2 Peter 3. In 2 Peter 3, we read some, also some sobering sobering words. Peter begins in verse 1 and says, this is now the second time I'm writing to you. And I want to stir you up. I want to stir your sincere mind up by way of reminder. You should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and the Savior through your apostles, knowing, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with their scoffing. People scoffing about the Lord. People saying, I don't want to believe in Jesus. People saying, you know what? God isn't listening to me. I can do whatever I want. And they're following after their own sinful desires. And they will say, verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. But they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. There will come a day. And just because people say, I can just keep doing whatever I want, doesn't mean that God will not even the scales, that God will not come forth with judgment because there will be ultimate judgment. God is going to bring about ultimate justice. And this is cause for comfort for believers, but also for great caution. Look with me at verse 12. Kind of hyperbolic, but he says, a sinner, even if a sinner does evil a hundred times, and prolongs his life, meaning he has a long life. You're looking around and you see someone doing evil, but they live longer than someone who's godly. Like the godly are dropping like flies and the evil just keep going. And they keep going in their evil. And they keep going in their injustice. And they keep living and prospering and being praised and persisting in their sin. And you're like, what is up with that? Even though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, Here's what Solomon says, yet I know. That's very strong. 
Solomon has been saying all the way through Ecclesiastes that he observes something, he sees something. This passage began with, I saw the death of the wicked. Now, Solomon says, I know. It's the first time he says, I know. This is a declaration of faith. This is a declaration of confidence in God. This is a declaration of dependence on God. He says, I know something to the depth of my soul. I'm convinced of it. What is it? Look on with me in this verse. I know that it will be well with those who fear God. It will be well. It doesn't seem like it's well now. It seems like your soul is being pummeled. It seems like it's being persecuted. It will be well in the future, at the time of God's choosing, when God decides that he is going to make it well for your soul. Think about your life right now and how you might be feeling downcast and depressed and defeated and dejected. Solomon says, I know. There's a confidence there. There is a an assurance there. There is there's a focus there on faith that God gives as a gift. This is a declaration of faith. I know that it will be well. To be well means to be beautiful, to, to be pleasant, for things to go well. And you might be saying, my life is not pleasant or beautiful or going well right now. And Solomon is saying, listen, it will be well. It will be well for your soul if you fear God. He says, I know that it will be well for the one who fears God. Fear of God is awe in the awesome presence of God. Fear of God is awestruck wonder at the good, great, glorious presence of God. We don't like to talk about fear of God. We like to talk about loving God. The Old Testament fear of God equals the New Testament loving God. If you fear God, you will love God. If you love God, you will fear God. You reverence God. You praise God. You worship God. And Solomon is telling us that it will be well, it will be good and beautiful and pleasant and appropriate for the one who fears God. And the reason he gives, look at the end of that verse. Look at the end of verse 12. I love it. Because they fear before him. He just layers fear upon fear. To the one who fears God, it will go well because they fear him. And and literally it's fear before the face of God. Fearing before the face of God. That's that awestruck wonder at the good, glorious, great presence of God. I hope that's you today. I hope that your heart is in a posture before God, in a position before God, in a place before God where you say, I am an awestruck wonder at the good, great, glorious presence of the triune God in my life. I hope that is true of you today. Can it be said of you? Can you say that? Can you declare, yes, It will be well with my soul because I fear before him. I am in awestruck wonder at him and who he is. Do you know that you might have come into this tent today or maybe you're listening online, maybe anywhere in the world, and you might say, wow, when I started listening to this sermon, my soul was in a bad place. I was rehearsing all the things that I was upset about in life. I was so distraught in my soul. I was so dejected. I was so defeated 
Or maybe I was so determined to get back at someone, I was planning out my revenge, and maybe the Spirit of God, using the Word of God in the lives of the people. I'm talking about believers here. But if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus and you have been so distracted by injustice or by evil and all the things, or maybe you're engaged in that, Maybe you are pushing an unjust cause. Maybe you are perpetrating evil. But you need to know. You need to be sure. You need to be confident of the fact that it will be well with the one who fears God because you fear before him. That you could be right now changed by God as he grants repentance to your heart. To know with assurance that you are in you are in awe before God. And your soul knows it well. And so then you know that it will be well with your soul. There is comfort. There is comfort in this. It reminds me of Romans 8. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 8. Let's rehearse some of the the grand truths of Romans 8, shall we? Romans 8 begins, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Romans 8 tells us that we've been adopted into the family of God. Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is someone who trusts the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. This is where you say, I believe that Jesus died in my place and shed his blood for my life. And I have placed my faith in him. I have put my soul on Christ, I have, I have looked to Christ for salvation, and I'm not trusting in my own good works, because all I have are filthy rags. And Romans 8 tells us, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know how to pray as we ought. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And then you come to verse 31 in Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Why would your soul not be well? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Your soul would be so in awe of the great and the good and the glorious and the gracious presence of God himself. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Indeed, he is interceding for us. This is great comfort for the believer who fears God. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. Your soul is downcast. It doesn't feel well. This is where you take Solomon's words to heart. You say, I know it will be well. In the time of God's choosing. In verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're not defeated. 
We are conquerors in Christ, more than conquerors. And then look at verse 38. He says the same thing Solomon does. I am sure. I'm convinced. I am dependent. I am absolutely sure. I know. What does he know? He knows that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, height, depth, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is great comfort in Christ. Allow Christ to comfort your heart right now. You're seeing injustice. Maybe you've perpetrated it. Maybe you need to confess your sins. Maybe you need to not be focused on other people's sins. And just think of the goodness of God. Think of the great, good, glorious, grand gospel truths that you believe. I know, verse 12, I know, I know. There is no shadow of a doubt here. There is no question mark. There is no confusion. Solomon says, I know that it will be well with the one who fears God because he fears before him in awe of the good, great, glorious presence of God. I hope that's you today. But look at verse 13. Again, humanity always gets put into two groups, sheep and the goat, wheat and the weeds, evil and good, righteous and wicked. And he says in verse 13, but... And he uses the same words, just in the negative, but it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days. That's interesting because in verse 12 it says, even if a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, lives a long life now. Verse 13, it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days. That's Solomon's first shot at, at talking about eternal life in this book. Prolong his days is eternal life. He's not going to heaven. He's not going to be with God forever. His days will pass like a shadow. Maybe he lives 83 years or 103 years on earth, but he will be in hell forever. And why? The very same opposite reason why it will be well with those who fear God. It says he does not fear before God. He is spurning God. He's rejecting God. He's scoffing at God. He's, he's saying he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't want God. The person that you know, think of the person you know that's like that. It's so easy for us to say, well, you know, it's good for me to believe the gospel, but there's a lot of good people out there, and I'm sure that God will make a way for them. No. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The apostles preached. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. There is great caution in verse 13. If it's you today who's not a believer and you're listening to these words, wherever you are, here or to the ends of the earth, you need to know that if you are in the category of the wicked who will not prolong their days, will not have eternal life because you do not fear before God, you need to know that you have offended a holy and righteous and good God. And if there's anyone here 
who knows the Lord Jesus, and I know so many of you, I know so many of you love Jesus with all your heart. You need to know that you offended a holy God and he, you are covered by the blood of Christ. That Jesus Christ, the just one, took the justice your sins deserved. That you ought to know with comfort that God Almighty put Jesus in your place at the cross, paying for your sins, shedding his blood so that you might live. And that if you believe in Jesus, it's because God gave you to believe in Jesus, that he, he made you able to believe in Jesus, that he drew you to himself in sovereign grace, in his providential orchestration of your life, and at the right time, you came to know Christ, and it doesn't end there. You continue on in Christ. You are persevered in Christ. You are preserved in Christ because of the goodness of God and the grace of God. But if you are one of the wicked, you have spurned a holy God. You are under God's wrath. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. If you are in this tent or you're somewhere listening to this sermon, you need to know that this is not a trifle. This is not a pretend thing. This is not a, a joke. This is not something to mess with. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You cannot work your way to heaven. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must bow your soul before God and cry out for his mercy. In Luke chapter 1 verse 50 it says his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. God is merciful. God in his mercy, when you come to Christ, alleviates the misery that sin brings. And some of you, you're still living in that misery on a daily basis because we, who know Christ, are still bringing misery upon ourselves. That's why we always need mercy. So we always need the mercy of God. Why we always need the grace of God in grace, God gives us what we don't deserve. In mercy, he holds back what we do deserve, his just wrath. But Jesus took the wrath. That's why 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He'll forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Isn't that good news? But if you are one of the wicked, it will not go well for you. There's great caution. Let's go back to 2 Peter. In 2 Peter, in chapter 2, in verse 3, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. You are one of the wicked today and you are refusing to come to Christ. Your condemnation is not idle and your destruction is not asleep. You will not be able to escape like a Hitler or a Manson. Or you just put the name, whatever name you want to put in there. Put your name in there if you're not a Christian. 
I want you to think with me for a moment. Believers, I want you to think with me. Think of the people that you know that you would put in the category of least likely to be saved. Like, they're never coming to Christ. They're always cursing God. They're always making fun of believers. They're so far away. They're doubly, doubly likely to go to hell forever because there is no way that they could get saved. Then I want you to think about the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 7 and chapter 8. First, he is holding the cloaks for those who would murder Stephen, that he was their assistant, rooting for the death of believers in Christ. And then think of Paul in Acts chapter 9. He is on his way with letters of permission to, to capture Christians and throw them in jail and root for their deaths. And God intervenes so that it would be well with his soul. He, he, he knocks him off his high horse. He crushes his pride. And he saves him. By grace, through faith in Christ. The same way anyone is ever saved. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, Revealed in Scripture alone for the glory of God alone. And I want you to know that if you're one of the wicked, you can come to faith in Christ now. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And I want you to know that if you have that list of people, if you're a believer and you think, oh, they are so unlikely to be saved. I want you to know that there is a calling upon the life of every Christian Preach the gospel of the grace of God in Christ to every person. Embedded in this passage, Solomon is saying something. He's saying, I know that it will be well for those who fear God. And it's not as if he gets to verse 13 and says, and you know, I don't really care about the wicked. Why is he telling us what he saw? Why is he shouting from the mountaintops about what he saw? Why is he saying, I saw the wicked buried? The sentence of the evil deed was not executed speedily. The heart of children of man is fully set to do evil because it grieved his heart to see it. Does it grieve your heart to see that? Do you care? Do you know that it is well with your soul? And do you care that there are those who it is not well with their soul? Centuries ago, there was a, a mountain pass in the Alps between Italy and Switzerland that claimed a lot of souls to freezing death. People would go into this mountain pass and they would climb up the mountain and they would be tricked by the weather such that they would think it was going to be okay and they would get near the top and, and the, 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 the wind and the climate and the rain and the, and the, the snow would come in and envelop them and they would, they would die. Thousands of people died on that mountain in the Alps. But then in the 1700s, 
the death rate plummeted. The death rate went down dramatically. It was because of a dog. Not just one dog, but many dogs. There were monks that were living at the base of the mountain, and they had a heart to help the people. They would try to warn the people to not go up on the mountain because they would die, but they would just keep going. The people would just keep going. So these monks bred a dog that would care for people, a dog that would be strong enough to go through the elements and navigate treacherous terrain. The pass had been renamed St. Bernard, and so they named these dogs St. Bernard's. And they had two tasks. They would go up the mountain, they would find the lost travelers, and they would deliver something that was in an a oak barrel around their necks. Uh, they, they gave a, a life-saving supply of bread and whiskey. Don't get any ideas here, okay? You're going to be giving out the gospel. But they would bring this bread and drink to save the lives of the travelers, but then they would lead them back to the monastery to safety. Their job was to deliver and then to lead. If you're a believer today, that's your job, to deliver the gospel of the grace of God in Christ and to lead others to fix their hope on Christ. And you look around this world and you see injustice, you see A lot of people seeming to just skate without any consequences. And you need to know that while mankind does evil continually, God will bring ultimate justice in his perfect time. Be comforted. Proceed with caution. And embrace your calling in Christ. Lord, we thank you for your grace to us. Thank you, Lord, that for those who fear before you, for those who love you, it will be well. Lord, we wait for the day that you make all things right. And until that day, Lord, give us strength. Give us courage. Give us determination to keep fixed upon you and your word knowing that you are the one that preserves us, that you are the one that leads us and guides and protects and provides. We thank you, Lord, for what you will do. We pray that you would be glorified. Lord, we pray that it would be for our spiritual growth and others' good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to wait for Pastor James, who's coming. But you can stand with us as we sing one final song together.
command and what will keep us to the end the love of Christ in which we stand close today by reading uh, some great verses in 1 Peter chapter 2. I just want to remind you, next week we're going to start a Christmas series, uh, My Soul Magnifies the Lord, then we'll so take a, a few week break from Ecclesiastes, but be back in January with Ecclesiastes. Really following the same line of thought, though, 
Magnify the Lord. Praise God with everything you have. Trust the Lord with all your heart. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for this time you've given us to gather, to worship you, to pray, to sing, and to hear your word. We pray, Lord, that as we go forth, that others would see our good deeds in Christ and glorify you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.